Father God, we are just grateful for the opportunity that you have given us this morning just to, to gather before you, Lord, as a body of believers. And Father, the longing of our hearts today is to hear your small, still voice speak into our lives. Lord, our desire is to see you high and lifted up, to worship you for who you really are, Lord, that you are this sovereign God that's in control of this world in which we live on, that you're this sovereign God that is above and over all things, and you this morning are seated on your throne. And so the desire of our heart is just to come and humble ourselves in your presence, Lord. We ask that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts and our lives, that your Spirit would have his way in us this morning that he would very clearly speak through your word, Lord. That people would not hear what I have to say, Lord, but they would hear your voice speaking to them. We need that today, Lord. So, Father, we claim the promise of your word where you say where your word is preached and taught, it will not return void. And so, Lord, we're trusting that you will work. Father, if there's someone here today who does not know you in a personal way, They've never come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. They've never trusted Him as their Lord and Savior. I pray today would be the day where they would respond in faith unto Him. That they would come to know what He has done for them at the cross. Lord, we love You. We praise You. We just want to say thank You for the opportunity to worship you together as your people. And we pray this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just say one other thing while, you're, uh, while I have your attention this morning. Uh, don't forget there's one other event that is happening this week that I forgot to mention. There will be a work day on Saturday here at the church. Uh, it will start at 7.30 with breakfast, 8 o'clock. We will be working here at the church. If you would like to be a part of that, please come out and be a part of that on Saturday. We would love to have you. Well, it is good to see you. If you have your Bibles this morning, I ask that you open them once again to the book of Acts. Acts, the second chapter. Acts, the second chapter. This is the focal passage of the series that we started last week. The series that I simply entitled, The Church. As a matter of fact, this is Luke's first report that he gives us on the status of the work in the book of Acts. He is showing and talking about the spread of the good news of Jesus Christ throughout the known world. He has talked about the coming of the Holy Spirit, and now he is sharing with us in this passage about this group of believers that have come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, last week, we discovered a very important characteristic of God's church. God's church is a believing people. It is a group of people that have come together and placed their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you remember, the Holy Spirit had come. Peter goes out on the day of Pentecost to the temple, and he preaches this great message. 
And as a result of this message that focuses on who Jesus Christ is and what he has done, there is a large group of people that have received the word of God. They have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And Luke tells us in this passage of Scripture that this is what distinguishes this group of people. They are unlike any other group of people because they have trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So the church is a believing people, a faithing people, I said last week. But not only is just the church a faithing people, the church is also a worshiping people. It is a worshiping people. And that is what Luke is going to reveal to us in this passage of Scripture today. So if you have your Bibles, Acts the second chapter, and we're going to begin reading in verses 41, and we're going to read down through verse 47. But what I really want us to do as we read this passage of Scripture is to focus our attention upon verses 46 and 47. So I want you to listen to what he says here, Luke, in verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls to their number. So we see what has happened here, right? They received the word that Peter preached. Their hearts were pricked. They were convicted. They turned away. They repented from their sins, and they turned to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And then they gave evidence of that decision through being baptized. Now listen to what else he says here, beginning in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the, the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their day, I mean, added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. So did you hear what Luke said here in verse 46 and 47? He said this group of people were gathering daily in the temple courts. And when they came to the temple courts, they gathered for the purpose of doing what? Of praising God. That word praising in this passage of Scripture is a reference to worship. In other words, what Luke is saying in this passage of Scripture is this group of Christians, those who had trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, were coming to gather into temple on a daily basis for the purpose of worshiping their risen Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, over the last 20 to 30 years in the American church, I can't think of any subject that has been more divisive than the subject of worship. As a matter of fact, as I have watched this unfold before me, I have often asked myself the question, why is this? Why is worship become so divisive in the American church? What should have unified God people, God's people together has actually 
divided God's people. Why is that? When I think about that question, this is the conclusion that I have drawn. The conclusion I have drawn is it's because churches have chosen to focus on the wrong person in worship. What the churches have done is they've made people in the pews more important than the person that is supposed to be worshipped. We have made people and placating to people and keeping people happy more important than the sovereign God of the universe whom we have been called to worship as God's people. Isn't that true? Amen? It is. I see that very clearly as I look at the American church today. And my prayer as your pastor is this. That will never, ever define us as, as Crestwood Baptist Church. That we will never allow our preferences determine if we will worship the one true living God. At any point in time, we allow our preferences to enter into worship. It is not true biblical worship because worship is not about you it's not about me it is all about him isn't that true and so my hopes and my prayers is that will always guide us in worshiping the Lord that we will always seek to see God high and lifted up and to be mindful of the fact that we have come together to worship this sovereign God who sits on his throne who is in control of this entire world that we live in and that we would seek to see him high and lifted up I pray that will be our heartbeat as God's people. So this morning what I want us to do is I want us to look at the subject of worship. And what I want to do is present to you four biblical truths concerning worship. Four biblical truths that I hope will guide us as God's people, will guide our times of worship here at Crestwood Baptist Church. So this is what I want to do this morning. I'm going to do something just a little bit different. I'm going to state for you these four biblical truths, and then we're going to go back, and we're going to take them apart, and we're going to look at each one of them more deeply. But just as we begin, if you are taking notes this morning, I just want to give you these four biblical truths that I hope and pray will always guide our worship times together at Crestwood Baptist Church. Number one, the first biblical truth that I would say to you today is true worship seeks to exalt the Lord God. True worship seeks to exalt the Lord God. I hope every time we come together as God's people, we will always seek to see our Lord high and lifted up that we will see this transcendent God that is over and above everything in this world, in this universe that we live in. I hope that is my prayer. I mean, I hope that is what happens in our time of worship. That is my prayer. Number two, true worship acknowledges God's holiness. True worship acknowledges God's holiness. Not only should we desire to see God high and lifted up in our times of worship, 
But we also need to remember that this God that we worship, this sovereign God of the universe, there is something different about Him. He is not like us. He is set apart. He is a different God. And we have been given the privilege. Now I want you to think about that for a moment. Here we are, this finite people that has been given the privilege of worshiping this infinite God that has given us the very breath that we breathe this morning. What a privilege that is when we think about that. So true worship seeks to or acknowledges the holiness of God. Number three, true worship enables us to see ourselves for who we really are. True worship enables us to see ourselves for who we really are. Worship is reflective. If we come into the presence of a holy God and we don't see ourselves for who we really are, in his sight, then I would say to you this morning, you have not truly worshipped. It is only as we see ourselves in light of who God is that we can truly worship him. Isn't that true? Yeah. Number four, and this is the good one here, all right? I like this one. True worship compels us to offer ourselves in service to the Lord. True worship compels us. It propels us into offering ourselves in service to the Lord. Think with me for a moment. If we come into the presence of this holy God and we see ourselves for who we really are, and we acknowledge that before God, should not our lives be changed and our desires to serve Him be changed in our lives? Sure. We see that very clearly in Scripture. So this morning what I want you to do, I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to open them to an Old Testament passage. It is the passage of Scripture that we are going to be focused on this morning. I want you to open your Bibles to Isaiah the 6th chapter. Isaiah the 6th chapter. Isaiah was a prophet to the, the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. He prophesied during the reigns of four different kings. One of those kings being in the passage of Scripture we're going to read, King Uzziah. King Uzziah was a great king. He was a king that was honored by the Jewish people. He was held up on high, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. But for over 50 years, Isaiah ministered in the southern kingdom of Judah, proclaiming the word of God to the children of Israel. He tells us in the opening verse, he sets this passage of Scripture in context for us by saying to us, in the year that King Uzziah died, so the king of Israel, this great king, this king that the people look to, this honored king has died. Isaiah has gone up to the temple to worship the Lord. And in this story, there is an event that takes place that is unlike anything that Isaiah has ever experienced. As a matter of fact, from this story, Isaiah's life would be forever 
changed. I want us to pick up and begin reading right here in Isaiah the 6th chapter. Isaiah the 6th chapter. And as we read through this story, I want us to identify each one of these biblical truths that we see concerning worship. Now I want you to listen to what he says here in chapter 6 verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now I want us to stop right here because I believe it's in these words that Isaiah records for us in this first verse that we see this first biblical truth. Did you hear what Isaiah said here? He said that he had gone up to the temple to worship the Lord. And when he gets to the temple, he has what most scholars, most Bible students believe, he has a vision. And the vision that he sees is he sees the Lord sitting on his throne. And as he sees the Lord sitting on the throne, he recognizes something very important about who God is. He sees the Lord high and lifted up, is what he says. Those words there, high and lifted up, carry the ideal of something that is exalted. Someone or something that is being pushed up. In this case, we know it to be God. Now listen to me. This is our greatest challenge in worship. Our greatest challenge in worship is not to see God as we see ourselves. God is not us. We need to be mindful of the fact that God is God and we are not. He is different than we are. Isaiah said that when he looked up, He saw God high and lifted up. He saw this transcendent God who was above and over everything. Do you see that here in this passage of Scripture? Isaiah said he went to the temple and he saw the Lord high and lifted up. He saw the sovereign God of the universe, this God who had created everything that he had ever seen in his life, this God who had hung the stars in the sky, this God who had breathed life into his body, and he was given the privilege of worshiping him. And we are given the same privilege when we come to God's church. When we come to God's church, we have the privilege, we have the honor to stand in awe of who this God is. And our worship should always lead us to see God high and lifted up. He is transcendent. He is over and above everything in this life. You know, my great prayer as a pastor is this, that our worship will never, ever become commonplace and passionless, but that our worship would lead us to see what Isaiah saw when he found himself in the temple of the holy God, that we would see God high and lifted up. So my prayer is this morning, that this would be the biblical truth that would guide our worship as God's people here at Crestwood Baptist Church. That we would always seek to lift God up. That's the reason I like that song that we just sang, that hymn, that great old hymn that we found in the Baptist hymnal, and it's still there, How Great Thou 
art. There are no words that can really express the greatness of God, can there? Think about all of the words that we can attach to God's name this morning. And it is still not sufficient to really describe who He is, is it? No. He is a great and a mighty God. He is the Lord of hosts. And we have been given the privilege as His people to come together and to see Him high and lifted up. To see Him exalted this morning. He is the transcendent God above and over everything. Now let's go back to this passage of Scripture and let's begin reading right here in verse 2. Let's hear what it is that Isaiah is going to say. He says, Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, and with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Now I want you to picture this in your mind for a moment. I want you to begin to think about this scene that Isaiah is describing before us today. This scene that is being played out here. Isaiah is in the temple. He has seen God high and lifted up. The very hem of his garment fills the entire temple. And then he looks up and do you know what he sees there? He sees the seraphim, these heavenly beings that were created by God. And what are they doing? They are crying out before God, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Of all of the attributes of God, there are none so praised as the attribute of God's holiness. Think about that for a moment. Do you realize when we read in Scripture... Never do we hear the reference, justice, justice, justice is the Lord God Almighty. And we know that just that He is a just God. Nowhere do we ever read, love, love, love is the Lord God Almighty. But when we look here in this passage of Scripture, we see there is an emphasis on the holiness of God's character. As a matter of fact, when you read throughout Scripture, you begin to realize something very quickly. God deliberately acknowledges, shows us over and over again, chooses to emphasize in Scripture the holiness of His character. Why is that? Why would God spend all of this time in Scripture deliberately emphasizing to us His holiness. Why would God do that? Well, I think the answer to that question is found in the definition of the word holy. The word holy means to be set apart, to be unlike something else. When we hear the definition of the word holy, It helps us to understand this triune God that we have been given the privilege of worshiping. He is unlike anything or anyone else on this earth or in outer space or in heaven anywhere. 
He is a holy God. And what we very clearly see here through what he is saying in this passage of Scripture, this is the manner in which we are to approach God in worship. We are to approach him as a holy God. He is not like us. He is pure and he is perfect. He is sinless in his person. And we have been given the privilege of worshiping him. But there is a right way and a wrong way to approach God in worship. We should always approach God with a sense of awe and respect for who he is. Because he is a holy God. He is not like us. He is not our running buddy. He is not our partner. He is the infinite sovereign God of the universe. Do you see that? But how often do we approach God in a flippant manner? Like we treat God like he's just like we are. Isn't that true? Have you ever found yourself doing that? Now, don't misunderstand me. Jesus Christ very clearly says that he is a friend to sinners, doesn't he? And Jesus is our friend. But I want you to understand there is something different about Jesus Christ. Do you see that in Scripture? Do you remember the story where the disciples are out fishing? They've cast, they fished all night. Jesus is with them. They've been casting their nets. And you remember what Jesus Christ says to Peter? He says, oh, Peter, cast your net on the other side. And you remember what happens in the story? They catch so many fish, it almost sinks the boat. Do you remember Peter's response to Jesus Christ? Do you remember what he says? He says, oh, God. Oh, Lord, I am a sinner, and I do not deserve to be in your very presence. Do you see that? When Isaiah looked upon God, he realized there was something different about God. You know, the songs that we sing, and through the preaching and the teaching of God's Word, my great hope and desire is that we will always lift God up and acknowledge God's holiness in our worship. Listen to me very carefully. If you don't, you don't hear anything else I say this morning, please hear what I'm about to say to you. When we fail to acknowledge the holiness of God in worship, we fail to worship. We fail to worship. We do. In His very nature, God is holy. And we should approach Him with a sense of reverence and awe. And I want you to go back to this story, and I want you to see this scene, okay, as it unfolds here before us, all right? God has, I mean, Isaiah has seen the Lord high and lifted up, right? The very hem of his garment has filled the entire temple. He has heard the seraphim crying out, what? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. As a matter of fact, in this passage of Scripture, it says in verse 4 that the very foundations of the temple shook when the seraphim cried out, holy, holy, holy. And then do you know what it says here in this passage of Scripture? It says that Isaiah responds to this, and this is what he says. He says, Woe unto me, for I am a man of unclean lips. 
Listen to what he says here in verse 5. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So do you see what has happened here in this passage? Can you get this scene in your mind as it is unfolding before us? He's heard the seraphim cry out, Holy, holy, holy. And as he's seen God in all of his holiness... Isaiah sees himself for who he really is. He recognizes that he is a sinner. In this passage of Scripture, he cries out from his heart, Woe unto me, God! I am a man of unclean lips. I am a sinner. You see, worship, the, uh, what we see here in this passage of Scripture is worship, true worship, always leads us, enables us to see ourselves for who we really are. And when we find ourselves in the presence of a holy God, we, become to real, we come to realize that we are a sinner. We are a sinner. But I want you to notice in this passage of Scripture, because what I want you to see here is how God responds to Isaiah's situation. Listen to what he says here in verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. How powerful is that? This finite person, Isaiah, finds himself in the presence of a holy God. When he sees himself in the presence of a holy God, he cries out because he recognizes that he is sinful. Now, our world would want us to believe that God is a tyrant and he is just waiting to slap us around every time, I mess up, every time we mess up. But what do we see here in this passage of Scripture? What happens here? When Isaiah acknowledges his sinfulness before God, it opens the door of God's grace, mercy, and forgiveness to him. Do you see that? It says that one of the seraphim took one of the tongue and touched his mouth. And it took away his guilt. His conscience was cleansed. And what else does it say here? And his sins were atoned for. Now I want you to hear this truth this morning. Because I think this is a truth that we need to grasp for ourselves today and that we need to take away from this message. Here it is. True worship always leads us to see ourselves for who we really are. And when we are willing to acknowledge our sinfulness before God, get this now, this is great. It opens the door for us to experience God's grace, mercy, and forgiveness in our lives. Wow. Think about that. The infinite God is giving us everything that we need to worship Him. He offers it to us. His grace, His mercy, and forgiveness. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you just experienced God's grace, mercy, and forgiveness in your life? 
when's the last time your conscience was cleansed because God's grace and forgiveness poured over your life? Listen to me carefully this morning. When we hide our sin from God, as though we can really do that, right? You see what I'm saying? When we try to hide our sin from God, there is no true worship that can take place in our lives. If we're holding animosity in our heart against someone else, you can't worship a sovereign God who is holy. When you're wrong with the person that sits across the pew from you, I can promise you, you'll leave here today and you will not have experienced God's grace, mercy, and forgiveness in your life. You will not have worshipped the sovereign God of the universe. It is utterly impossible for us to worship God without seeing ourselves for who we really are. It's impossible. And Scripture makes that so clear to us here. But I want you to notice God's response. I love this. So let's, let's, let's draw this scene one more time. God has seen, I mean, Isaiah has seen God high and lifted up. He's heard the cry of the seraphim, holy, holy, holy. He's acknowledged his own sinfulness. He's experienced the grace, mercy, and the forgiveness of God. Now listen to how God responds here. I love what it says. And he says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And it's as almost as though Isaiah is standing saying, Oh God, please send me. Here am I. Please use me for the feathering of your kingdom. I want to be of service to you, Lord. Do you see that here? It's crazy. I mean, think about it for a moment. He's crying out with his heart and he's saying, God, please use me. Please use me. You see, true worship leads us to offer ourselves in service to the Lord. I like what one church has above the door as they enter into the worship center. Above the door as you enter into the worship center, it says, enter into God's house to worship. When you leave out of the doors of the worship center to go home, it says, leave God's house to serve. To serve. True worship always leads us to offer ourselves in worship to the Lord. Always. In this story, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. The hem of his garment filled the entire temple. He heard the cry of the seraphim, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The very thresholds of the temple shook. He recognized his own sinfulness and he acknowledges it before God. And God opens up to him his grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And in return, Isaiah opens his life to the Lord to be used by him in whatever manner God desired to use him. Listen, folks, that is true biblical worship. 
This morning as I close, I'd like to read a quote to you. It's a quote by a man named Louis Giglio. He has written a book, and the book is entitled, The Air I Breathe. And I want you to listen to what Louis has to say about worship. He says, worship is our response to what we value most. Everyone has an altar, and every altar has a throne. How do you know where and what you worship? It is easy. You simply follow the trail of your time, your affection, your energy, your money, and your allegiance. At the end of the trail, you'll find a throne. And whatever or whoever is on that throne is what's of highest value to you. When I read that quote this week, I thought to myself, no wonder we have churches that have thousands of members with only a handful of people in attendance each and every Sunday. Is there any wonder, really? To be honest, as we look at the world in which we live in, what do people value most? Just look at their affections. Look at their time. Look at their energy. Look at their money. Look at where their allegiance is, and it will tell you what they value most in life. Can I ask you a question this morning? Who is sitting on the throne of your life today? Who is sitting on the throne of your life today? Before you answer that question, you make sure you check your affection, your time, your money, and your allegiance and where you spend your energy because those are the true indicators of who is sitting on the throne of your life this morning. There will be no true worship in any of our lives until God has His rightful place on the throne of our lives. That is only when true biblical worship will happen in our lives. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning and close your eyes. I'm going to have a word of prayer, and it's going to open our time of invitation. Maybe you're here this morning, and you need to respond to the Lord in some way. Maybe as you've examined your life, and as you've asked yourself the difficult question of who is on the throne of my life, and if you're willing to be honest, and you're willing to say, God, I realize you're not there, it can change today. It can change by simply giving control of your life over to the Lord. If God is not sitting on the throne of your life this morning, I want to challenge you as your pastor today to make Him what is most important in your life. But perhaps you're here this morning and you don't know about this person that I've spoken about today, this sovereign God of the universe. You can't know someone. You can't worship someone you don't know. If you've never given your heart and your life to Him today, and you don't really know how to do that, I would encourage you to come forward this morning because I want to share with you how you can come into a relationship with Him, how you can know this sovereign God of the universe through His Son, Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here and you need to become a part of this body of believers. We want to encourage you to do that. But what's most important is I want you to follow the leadership and the direction of the Holy Spirit in your life. After we have our time of prayer, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. 
and it's going to open our invitation. You respond in the way and the manner in which you need to. Father God, we thank you so much for your love for the day that you have blessed us with. We thank you for the truth of your word and the way that your word speaks to our hearts. And Lord, I pray right now you would continue to have your way in our hearts and our lives this morning. Lord, I pray that each one of us would examine our own heart and our own life to ask ourselves the challenging question, who is on the throne of my life today? Lord, our desire is you just to have your way in our heart and our life, for you to be honored and glorified. We pray this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.